We are supported by Robbins Insurance, an independent insurance agency known for providing customized insurance policies, sound guidance, and attentive service. Robbins is also known for delivering exceptional coverage to Nashville's restaurants and bars. Whether it's a fryer fire that sets off the sprinkler system and leaves your restaurant sopping wet on a busy Saturday night, or it's a once-in-a-decade tornado that cuts off your electricity and subsequently spoils all the food in your walk-in, Robbins has seen it all. And they know how to create policies that'll get your business back on its feet as quickly as possible in the event a disaster strikes. Look, when it comes to insuring your restaurant, bar, brewery, bakery, grocery store, hotel, or whatever, you need someone who knows the industry, who understands your business, and who will create a policy that protects your space, your staff, and your concept. That's Robbins. Visit Robbins' website at robbinsins.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-S. INS.com to request your insurance consultation. Once again, that's robbinsins.com. Did you know the number one cause of methane or greenhouse gases in landfills is your food waste? Restaurants waste so much food. All the food people don't eat, all of the scraps that come from all of your prep, it all gets put in a dumpster and then gets buried in a landfill. And as it decomposes, creates methane gas. Well, thank God Jeffrey Ezel and his brother Clay have come up with the compost company. You can now compost your food waste. They take it to their farm. They create organic soil out of it. They then sell that to Whole Foods as well as local farmers and landscapers. So it's literally coming full circle in your community. If you're a restaurant owner or manager, you need to be calling Jeffrey Ezel at 615-866-8152 and they will set you up with the green bags and the green trash cans that they will come empty twice a week. If you work in a restaurant and you would love to have this option, instead of putting food into a trash can, you can start composting. Tell your manager to call Jeffrey Ezel. That's 615-866-8152 or follow him at The Compost Company on Instagram. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, the tastiest hour of talk in Music City. Now here's your host, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. We are powered by Gordon Food Service. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host. Here we go, Monday. Uh, we are excited today to be talking with a new friend. Her name is Kate Madry. She's an actor, and she is a comedian. And she is a podcaster, and her show is called The Clear-Headed Podcast. She has a website, clearheaded.co, and she's amazing. She was really, she's just she's just an awesome person, and I'm so excited to share this. But I will tell you, I'm scared to share this because I've had this interview for a couple weeks. We did this like two weeks ago, and, you know, it's no secret that I'm a sober guy. I talk about it. I don't want to be the guy that's like, that. that's all he does is talk about it. And I'm cognizant of that, that, hey, look, people drink and it's okay. They don't have the same thing that I do where I, I you know, like to drink too much. But when I'm, you know, there's, there's something about sobriety and you get these little chips and on the chips, it says to thine own self be true, right? So there's this ridiculous level of honesty that you have to have with yourself. And when you talk to other people, 
who've had to accept this this brutal honesty there's some real and i don't want to say like oversharing but there's some real vulnerability that happens and you 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 sometimes forget how vulnerable you get because you you talk about yourself and you talk about yourself in such a deep way with people who are also experiencing the same thing so when i do podcast interviews like this which are so amazing. I love them with all of my fiber. There's a lot that I put out there. There's a lot that I put out there with Kate and a lot she puts out there. And I, you know, I'm hesitant because I find myself laying in bed going, do I need to put this out? Do I need to, do I need to make a podcast about this? Like there's a little bit of fear and you lay in bed and you go, why am I doing that? Do I need to share this stuff? This is pretty personal. And I think that the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes. You need to share it. Um, I know that people will hear this and they'll go, wow, man, that was great. And I appreciate you sharing that. It's not, it's, it's scary. It really is scary. I mean, when you put this stuff out there, because like, I mean, this is my heart. This is, this is, this is it. And it's like, damn, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just a thing. So uh, I'm going to put it out there today. We're going to do this episode today. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you listen to this and are able to be objective about our conversation. And if you are somebody out there who, you know, feels like you drink too much or whatever it is, it's okay. Like, it's okay. I, we don't put this stuff out there to make you feel like an alcoholic. And you don't even have to label yourself that way. Uh, I put a post out on Facebook and LinkedIn a couple weeks ago that said, hey, I hit a thousand days, thousand days without a drink which is a little incredible to me just because I know me and I'm like, holy shit, how did I do it? But it doesn't matter if you have a thousand days or, or 10 hours, whatever it is. Um, you know, the, the goal here is that you are able to be the most authentic you. And if you have trouble, if you have past issues, if you have things that you're holding on to, um, you don't have to. You don't have to. And there's a group of people out there that want to help you. And it's a, it's a pretty healthy community of people. And I want to destigmatize the conversation around it. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with not drinking. It's okay. And uh, if you have any problems, I'm, I'm always here. So please feel free to DM me, message me and say, hey, dude, I want to ask you more about that. And I will tell you, I've probably had 10 to 15 people do just that over the past year. Um, I put out an episode on January the 2nd called, Hello, My Name is Brandon and I'm an Alcoholic. I invite you to go listen to it. Um, it's one of our, it's, it's one of the top five listened to episodes out there, which is scary as hell to me. But uh, hopefully, you know, people have heard it and they've said, dude, I want to I wanna try this or I think I might have a problem or, you know, I'm too far gone. You know, I think that's the thing that people are afraid about. They feel like I've done too many things. There's no way I can come back. And it's like, you can you totally can. You absolutely can. And uh, I'm rooting for you. If there's any way in which I can help, I'm totally down to do it. So we're going to put this episode out, and I'm excited to do it. And I want to tell you before I do that about Justice Industries. Are you guys familiar with Justice Industries? Because I've been talking about it now for a couple of weeks. And Justice Industries is so cool. What they do is they take people who really are unemployable um, or have had really problems, you know, if you have a felony or it's just something, it's, it's, it's just a tough work climate for you, they will hire you and they have companies that they will hire you to run. So one of their companies is called Just.Glass. And you go to justiceindustries.org, you go to their website. I implore each of you to go check this out. 
And what they do is they will come to your restaurant. They'll pick up all of your glass recycling. And I think you just put it in a separate container and they'll come pick it up. And it is helping give jobs to people who need jobs. And it's helping with our environment. It's all a bunch of really, really good things. And as restaurateurs, we go through so much waste. So much waste. Uh, you heard earlier on the opening from the compost company. They're another company that food waste and just waste, like, let's let's do our part, people. Let's do our part and let's um, let's recycle this stuff and let's make organic compost. It's it's all just fantastic. And I love sharing about these. So if you're somebody who works in a restaurant and you want to do this, tell your manager about it. And if you own a restaurant or you, you know, are somebody who has a decision-making ability, go to justiceindustries.org and then click on the just.glass. You can sign up for them to come pick it up all of your glass right there online. It's super inexpensive and it's something that definitely helps the environment. I really recommend that you do this and um, happy to have them be a sponsor of the show. So let's get into this, guys. Uh, Kate Madry, thank you for listening. I really appreciate you. And uh, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Super excited today to welcome in Kate Madry. She is an actress. She is a comedian. She is a podcaster. She's a fellow sober person. Yes. How are you? Yes. I'm good. I was just, we were talking about this, but I'm hot, which I feel like everybody is right now. <sighs> Whew, we got the middle of the summer. Are we at the middle or are we nearing the end? I, I, I think I'm these are called the season. dog days. Yeah. Well, I feel it. Yeah. I, I'm breathing, breathing heavy like a dog for sure. But so let's, you're in LA I'm though. Good. I am in LA and I'm a fellow, I guess, Nashville girl. I, I grew up in Brentwood. Um, I was born in Los Angeles, but my parents uprooted and moved. Where did they, so the, how old were you when they moved from LA? I was six and. Now were you in LA or are you like Orange County? Or are you? No, I was in Montrose, California, which is by Pasadena and Glendale. Okay, so like LA. Like LA. Because I was born yeah. in Laguna. Okay, yes. Mission Viejo. Yes. yes, my aunt and uncle live there. And then I, I moved Michigan. to Nashville when I was nine. But I'm old, so I've been in Nashville for a really long time. So you never moved back out of Nashville. You stay, You went there and you stayed. I stayed there. I've been here 34 years. And I did go back and go to high school in California for two years. And okay. I lived in Mississippi for a couple years just to run a restaurant there. But I mean, I've... But for the most part, I, come to, I go to California all the time. My, I'm fa yeah. my family moved out to Riverside now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, I feel like Nashville has become a, a main destination in the u.s like it's la new york atlanta nashville i feel right don't it's, you it's like a so big especially people. if you're like in the ba bachelor franchise it's very oh very big very very big isn't nashville like the number one bachelorette tourist place to go for like a bachelorette party or something it is number one for bachelorette parties I mean, I get it. You can do that little pedal bar thing around Broadway and and see all of the fun bars. And I and I did that, and I like had that life in Nashville because I, I moved back to Los Angeles three weeks out of high school. So I graduated in Nashville. Where'd you go to school? Back to LA. I went to Ravenwood. Okay. Um, and shout out to the Raptors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I'd come back, you know, as as 
kids do when they first leave the house, if they're fortunate enough to have the means to travel often. I, I came back. I came back for Thanksgiving and I'd come back for, you know, mental breakdowns from time to time being like, this is so different. What is happening? But what I always, you know, looking back, I always would like party when I came back home. And there was this there was this heavy cloud that I had like developed around coming back home because I leave with so much anxiety. And so as the years went on and, and the home visits became less and less frequent and I had to evaluate why I didn't want to go home anymore, I started to realize that it was because when I went home, I, I would drink and I would party and I'd hit Broadway and I'd wake up and I'd feel awful or I'd see friends from high school and I'd be a complete wreck because I don't moderate. It's not something that I am am capable of with alcohol. Yeah. And so I'd make these choices that I didn't feel good with and then I wouldn't want to go back because I'd be kind of ashamed. Shamed. Yeah, yeah, like a you shame. Know? Like I did that and people are going to – that's the way they remember me. Totally. And if I just don't go back there, then I won't have to face it. Exactly. Or you do kind of the dance with the devil where you're like, well, if I – Okay, well, it's been – all right, I haven't seen them since last Christmas. I need to go out with them because, you know, I need to prove that I'm not that sloppy. So, yeah, I'm going to hit Broadway again, <laughs> and I'm going to make up for that last – and it would be worse, and it would go right back to that pendulum swing of, like, you can't hold it, girl. It just isn't good. And then I had this whole other life in California where I spent most of my time – and California and Nashville are different in the way of the hustle, meaning Nashville, there is hustle. There is a ton of hustle. People work really hard. But the pace at which you're expected to hustle at is a bit different than in L.A. Just like L.A.'s hustle pace is probably very different from New York. There, It's just an energetic yeah. thing. And the cost of living is much higher in L.A. And I was choosing – to pursue my dream, which is a career in the entertainment industry. And that is a whole different kind of hustle mentality. So I was trying to pay my bills. I was trying to audition. I was trying to have a social life. I was trying to figure out who I was all while pretty much drunk. And I, I did it for for so long because I I didn't know a different way. Like I didn't know a, another option. I think and a lot of people are there. I think a lot of people do that. A lot. Because like, our I society, thinking, like it's it's totally normal. Like we've normalized totally. doing that. Yes. Which is crazy to me that we've normalized getting blackout drunk and acting like an idiot and like, hey, that's fun. I that's know. like a rite of passage. You should do that because that's what fun looks like. And more, more past that was and is, which I think we're evolving through, thankfully, but the stigma that you need to hit a major rock bottom in order to start reevaluating your relationship with alcohol. We see it in movies and TV shows and the people with a, a substance dependency or an inability to manage are seen as villains. There's something wrong with them. They're effed up. They there's a there's a picture of a complete failure. And so if you aren't there, you don't want to realize it because then at the same time it's kind of this 
this pull to say, I don't think I'm there, but I also think I'm in an awful spot. If I say that I'm there or if I seek the treatment or the help that a person who is there and in that dark hole and did get a DUI or total a car or end up in jail or do something massive, sure. am I then, is that now who I am? Do I have to take on the label of being that in an in order to get out of this gray matter that I'm in of just like hamster wheel running, like, you know? And I, I think what you're, I know what you're, I feel like I know what you're referencing. And there's different types of people can go to different things. Back in the 40s, it was mostly men. It was like the three fingers, you know, of bourbon at lunch, the three martini lunch. And then they'd go home and they'd yell at their wives. And it was, it was a whole weird craze where I'm like, is this when America was great? I don't get it. Um, <laughs> but like, the, and then they would end up in a hospital and they would hit rock bottom. And then they, that's when like, kind of like the whole AA thing started. And they went, mm-hmm. I have nowhere else to go. And right. they know what it's like being at the bottom. I was one of those people that hit that rock. I, my, it was my rock bottom. But I yeah. think we've learned so much from then that now we have something that they call raising the bottom. Mm. Like there's these, there's these. you don't have to go all the way down there. We know the attribute. We know that, hey, look, I can't have just one. So you know that, hey, look, I, I'm probably somebody who can't handle their alcohol. I drink way too much. Or you're in that situation where you are that says, I don't think I can do much more. Like you don't need to go have a car wreck. Like you don't have to go do all that stuff. You can just stop. Like you can recognize these tendencies way earlier. Like raise yeah. the bottom so your bottom doesn't have to be way down there. I love that. Hashtag raise the bottom. Yes. Like I'm all about it because you know it's so funny too. I was just doing an interview and the the person said, What do you think like this? Would you call it a sober movement? Like everybody's so sober curious. And I said I think it's that we're raising the bar for ourselves. And I think that's what I chose to do. People, to your point, have to hit all these different kind of lows in order to not want to bend their back to go under that bar that they've set for themselves. But it takes time and it's just like your sober journey, your recovery journey, your non-drinking journey, however you feel comfortable labeling it, is so unique. And how you get to that point is just as unique through relapse, through trial and error, through linear journeys. I mean, it's so different for everyone. And I think the more that we have conversations like you and I are having, or like so many other amazing people are starting to have, really what gets dropped is the judgment from other and people. And the stigma. And the stigma to have to try to fit into this tiny box that we only have known, seen, felt identifiable. Um, in this incredibly complex, personal, unique journey. And and that's what's so important. And that's why we have these, these conversations. And I think in my story, I had I had a personal rock bottom too. It was more emotional. Mm-hmm. So kind of going back, like I went through the majority of my 20s. I, I say that and I'm like turning 28 <laughs> next month. Like – Girl, you're not even 30 yet, but you get what I'm saying. I went through totally. my adult uh, hood that I knew so far where I could actually get a drink at a bar and I could actually 
go at, you know, 2 a.m. around the corner and get a Tito's handle because that's what they needed to go to sleep. Like living in that reality and dependency and abuse for until I was like 25, I just thought that was it. I just thought that's what it was. And there was never going to be a changing. And it wasn't until the pandemic hit where, one, my alcohol, like abuse and misuse and dependency really crept in, which, I mean, we talk about shame and I'm sure we'll get into it more, but I don't look back and feel shameful or scolding of myself in that abuse or dependency in any way because we're human at the end of the day. And we were in a global pandemic. I think if that's the one time that you're going to reach for your your coping your coping mechanism that you only know is when you're locked in your your house and you have you're not really sure what's going on and and you're you're just trying to get from one day to the next. And it wasn't until i I actually leaned in, not that I wouldn't have gotten here eventually. I think I would have gotten to to the frequency of I, of my drinking and the emotional turmoil I was facing over probably two years. But I got there in a year because I was doing it, locked in my house, doing things virtually. I didn't have to worry about Ubers. I didn't have to worry about, you know, really getting dressed. I could just be in my ugh, yeah. dependency, Yeah, you know? I think a lot of people and, did that. I think a lot of oh, people. so many. I think this movement. So many. Referencing, and I want to get back. I don't want to interrupt your story. Of course. But I think a lot of people were at home and they're, when you're at home alone and there's no distractions and all you do is drink all day long, you do that for like six months. And I think that a lot of people went, hey, I don't know how to cope. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not okay, mm-hmm. but I know that the way I'm drinking isn't healthy. I think people started feeling unhealthy because casual drinkers were like, hey, this is really great. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have went, whoa, when I was left to myself and I don't have other response, I don't have to go to work all day. I just, I just drink. I think mm-hmm. that, I think a lot of the sober movement is because of the pandemic and people having the moment of clarity at home to go, hey, wait a minute. Like, when I'm left to my own, I'm not, when I don't have distractions, my go-to is to get wasted. Yeah. And anyway. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's so many layers to that realization across all these different um, demographics. And it, de- it really depends on how you were kind of categorized in the pandemic. I mean, we had nurses who didn't get to work from home and doctors who didn't get to work from home and they didn't get to lean into that coping and heal and have those moments of clarity. And so there's still a whole group of so many people who are so imperative to our economy, who we are as a a country, our work, you know, force as a whole who were, who were like shoved into Ugh, just just so much. And that's like, I, I couldn't so even get much. into all of it because we would have, I mean, maybe it's another episode. Who knows? <laughs> but but I mean, also specifically like within, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back to myself. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm leaning in, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm single and, and it's the first time in my like adult life that I'm like single and I'm like, wow, I'm like alone. Like I don't have 
I don't know, booty call. I don't got nothing, okay? And I don't want nothing because uh, <laughs> there's a national pandemic and yeah. what's going to happen? And and we're so scared and it depends on, you know, the phase and the, the, the information and it was all just a lot. And my entire journey with reevaluating alcohol also started when I started reevaluating the gender that I found attractive and who I thought I wanted to be with. And I had a friend whose name is Sarah and we were best friends and worked in a restaurant together. That's how we met. I mean, we were in the service industry. We'd go out after and have tequila shots and we'd drink wine during our shift together in the back. I mean, it was like our relationship could definitely be identified as built on booze, which is something that I've now had to like are. look and you quantify the relationships. I think it's important when you're first getting sober of like, okay, these relationships that I'm scared of losing, what's the foundation? Are they built on booze or are they built on love? Because the love will flourish and float depending on whatever water you throw at it. But but booze will will sink and it won't taste good and it won't be good for you. So Mm-mm. our relationship was built on booze and then it into into the pandemic, the further we got in, we kind of started to be like, let's just, let's just only hang out with each other. Like you be safe for two weeks. I'll be safe for two weeks. Let's just hang out. And to make a long story short, we totally fell in love. I mean, absolutely fell in love, but we were drinking the whole time. So essentially like I had never felt that way. I was coping with feeling that way and the overwhelming feeling of being like, whoa, I've never really thought about dating a woman and now here I am and I can't hide these feelings and I don't want to hide these feelings and I don't want to shove them away. It feels really great to feel this way. Yeah. And we went through a couple of months of like figuring out, taking it slow, like not putting a label on it because it's what I needed and and she respected that and just being like, entertain the idea. And while I was entertaining that idea, I started entertaining the idea of sobriety because I knew in my freaking gut that what I had going for me had no longevity. There was no way I could sustain drinking to the extent that I did, feeling hungover to the extent that I did, battling with the anxiety internally and physically and mentally the way that I did while going through a pretty pivotal realization about my sexuality. (laughs) You know, that's like, ah, a lot sober. It's way more scream fest 2022 when you're hungover and you got anxiety. So as we went on, I just could feel myself, even though I knew it, it's like I was resisting that change and, and slipping into becoming sober. And I and I would do things like, I think I'm going to take a month off. I'm going to like, I'm not going to drink for like 30 days. And, and, it, and it would be based in shame because I'd wake up and I'd feel shameful about something I said or did. And so I'd write off alcohol. And the foundation of that writing off alcohol was shame. And so when the hangover subsided and the anxiety went away and that shame kind of lulled a little bit and it wasn't really, um, wasn't too forefront. It wasn't enough to drive the car. It was just in there. I went right back to that bottle and I did it quite a few times and I think it's really normal too. And 
it wasn't until November, uh, Thanksgiving in, in 2020, when I went to meet Sarah's parents, who we were getting serious, and I got so anxious about meeting her family that I just rosé all day and tequila shots in the guest bedroom that I had put in the closet and we got into a huge fight in front of her family. I mean, it was like kaboom. You want the explosion? That was the explosion. Yeah. Gasoline match go. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) And I woke up and I felt awful and I just had my, my moment of clarity where I said, I have so many ingredients right now to have a life that I can really love. And for some reason, I'm choosing to numb every day to escape a life that I don't like. So Katie, you can either ruin, let these ingredients that you have spoil. They won't be able to be used. You're gonna ruin them. They're going to go, they have an expiration date, right? Because people have a, a elasticity that will snap eventually when you don't honor that elasticity and you don't change and you 100%. don't adapt. So I could either let those good ingredients spoil, stick with a life that I wanted to escape and keep drinking, or I could take stock of the ingredients that were still good. I could try my hardest to not drink and create a life that I didn't want to escape from. And that sounds really packaged and pretty and like it was this well put thought and it wasn't, it was messy and it took the course of a full 24 hours for me to get that realization. But in an effort to not make this a 24 hour thought process podcast, that's what I came out of my hangover with. So I drank one beer on the 27th And then I didn't drink again and I haven't drank again. And it's not been pretty. It has been linear, I would say. I haven't reached back for a bottle. I haven't regressed in that way. But emotionally, it's ebb and it's a flow. And it wasn't until 10 days after that that I told Sarah, I'm serious about this. This is the longest I've gone. And I have a problem with alcohol. And I need to fundamentally change that about my life or everything's going to spoil. And she said, thank God, me too. And so then she got sober. And so we've both been sober and in love and those feelings were real. And I know it because I'm not drunk and I can feel the anxiety and I could go through those emotions and I could weather that storm, not numb, So I felt a lot, Mm. but I could process and I could strategize and I could game plan. Yes, I was uh, so angry. I was so angry when I first got, like four or five days later, I found myself just like mad. And I didn't didn't know what to do. I didn't know why. I didn't know what to do. And um, I was a crazy, I learned meditation that you need to meditate and you need to spend some time alone. And I started doing that and it helped a lot. But I realized that like, I don't know how to process emotions. I didn't, I, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't have like, you had the foresight to go, Hey, look, this is going to happen and I'm here and I have something bigger that I want. 
I had the moment of like, holy shit, I fucked up really bad. And I don't really have a lot of choices. And then I had a God moment with a gigantic rainbow right yes. in my face at this moment. And I went, okay, I got to do something different. And yeah. for me, it was different because the second that I, I, I labeled myself and I said, I'm an alcoholic, it was kind of that moment where I went, oh, that's it. Like, and it to me, it was like, I've been sick for months. And then they said, oh, well, you have lung cancer. And it's like, oh, shit. So oh, that's what it is. It. Like, I know what it, now I can start working on it. You know, so I was mm. so afraid of that label, like mm. so long. And I, and then finally, when I said it, when I said, oh, well, I'm an alcoholic. And then I went, oh, God, that felt so good. Like all this pressure that somebody was going to label me that. Then I went, I don't care. I'm just tired of being sick. Yeah. And then and then it was like, now let the healing begin. It was like this, just this weight off of my shoulders. And yes. then I was like, what am I going to do with all these? Um, what are these feelings I'm having? I don't yes. know what they are. And I don't know how to process them. And I'm mad. And then I was like, why am I sad? I did, but I didn't, I didn't even know what those feelings were. I didn't know how to feel them. I didn't know what to do. It was, and it's still it's a process. Overwhelming. It is. It's overwhelming it's the most special thing i in the world. love that honesty and i relate to it i think anybody who is going to make a change take sobriety out of it if you're going to choose to not eat cake for the rest of your life guess who's going to miss cake you are you're going to feel a lot of feelings about frosting you're going <laughs> to think about stuff and not understand why you want sprinkles right now and why it makes you mad that you can't. And then you go and you find ways and tools and people and other non-cake eaters who go, yeah, I get it. Let me help you label that. I think apart from like what you said in your podcast episode, which was I'm forgetting the exact episode, but it was called Hi, I'm Brandon and I'm an alcoholic. That's what that was it? January 2nd, uh, yeah. 2022. I didn't know the exact, um, if it was like oh, 2023 or whatever, but I think it's important to for people to hear that it's okay to not know how to process your feelings at any stage of that. Like you knew you were feeling anger that still might be way more, way more, way more far ahead than somebody else who's just like, ah, all the time or short with their spouse or can't keep, uh, stop arguing with their roommate or hates everything they put on their body. And that anger can manifest outside of feelings, but how you see yourself, your lens, same with sadness, same with joy, same with anything. So there's so many different layers to like how you feel emotion. And I think, I think the most common misconception I've had when people interview me on my sober journey. I'm curious with you too, if you like identify with this, but people who have never attempted sobriety don't feel like they have a problem just kind of, as you could say, the normies, right? Go, wow, you must feel so much lighter. It must've just been like <sighs> such a breath of fresh air to just cut it out. And I'm like, you know, it is now almost two years into it, it's really beautiful and it feels a lot lighter. But 
it wasn't that way the first week, the first month, <clears throat> the first year. It was about 10 times heavier, but it was a different kind of weight. It, it was a weight that I was present for. And so I felt like instead of going into a gym blindfolded and knowing I got to do a 30-minute workout, which is how I was living my life drunk all the time, I woke up sore. I didn't really know what I did. I'm sure I picked up some dumbbells. Maybe I ran on the treadmill. I woke up with bruises. I didn't feel confident about the choices I make versus walking into a gym without a blindfold. You got a protein shake in your hand beforehand and you've written out you're going to do a treadmill first, then you're going to do dumbbells, and then you're going to do lunges, and then you're going to stretch, and then you're going to go home and shower. You still wake up sore. <laughs> you're still feeling those feelings. But you're intentional. But you're intentional. You're intentional. And I think my biggest message that I, I'm glad I was able to really realize, and if I could go back and tell myself when I was trying again and again and again, and even when I was in that first year is you're not getting sober to get numb. You can drink for that. You're getting sober to lean into those feelings and experiment and label and like plant plant something that's going to grow a lot bigger than just a pot of, you know, dirty water that you splash on everybody you encounter. And that means it's work and you have to to choose how you want to go about it. And, you know, also just that the kindness that I try to look at my past self with, and I think the kindness that you do too from based off of what I've heard of you and, and just your energy and stuff is shame doesn't breed evolution. Kindness does. So if you ever want to grow, you can't shame yourself. I, I kept falling back to that bottle because my method for going into sobriety, those 30 days, those three days, those five days, those whatever days at the front of it were, were foundationally built on shame. I was expecting shame to get me through, and it just doesn't happen. Have you, are you a Brene Brown fan? I, I am, and I know that you are kind of a new Brene stan. I I've, love that. I read Daring Greatly like several years ago. Okay. And it was amazing, and I love the idea of vulnerability. I just didn't know how to do it. I'm a big, yeah. I'm, a, I'm six foot six, 260 totally. pounds, and like I'm a big, big dude, right? So yeah. there's this, and like, how is this guy? Like, he can't be real, like, you know, whatever it is. And I, so I read the book, and I loved it. But what I didn't know was how to define the emotions I was feeling. Mm -hmm. So the Atlas of the Heart book, have you read Atlas of the Heart? I've watched her speech on it, Okay, but I haven't read it. It's the most amazing book I've ever read because I don't, I've been numbing emotions my whole life. In my whole life, I was, I, I was taught yeah. As a man, you're not allowed to have emotions. You are the Teflon. You are the one. You can't. It's weak Absolutely. to have emotions. Yeah. And I was missing out on so much in life. <laughs> These big moments that I needed to experience wholly. And I missed them because I was like, I don't need that. That's, that's, that's not okay for a man to do. But learning the difference between shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. You know, and just the idea that my self-talk. You know, mm -hmm. the, the one thing that I learned that shame is I am and guilt is that behavior of mine was, right? So me saying, mm. 
oh, I'm so stupid. I am so stupid. Like that is shame. I'm not stupid, but that thing that I did wasn't the best decision. So there's a difference between that, that self-talk that I would tell myself all the time. I invited shame in because that's how I talked to myself. I told myself, oh, you're so dumb. How could you do that? You're a bad friend. You're this like, no, you're a good friend, but you made a bad decision. You're a good person. Your heart is good. Like you are a good person. But in that moment, you made a bad decision. And like we have to learn how to talk to ourselves that way. Because what happens is you start feeling, you start believing it. You start, and as yeah. parents, as parents, I have children. So as parents, it's so sad to hear my kids use that talk too. You say, "Hey, that's not okay." Say, I know, Dad. I'm dumb. Like, no, no, no. Listen, you are not dumb. You are a brilliant, smart, amazing young man. You just in that moment, you weren't, you know, you weren't thinking the right way. So next time, it's okay. Like, it's okay to make mistakes. But learning that difference between shame and guilt was really yeah. big to me and just the ability to recognize that to go yes okay i'm not going to tell myself that anymore yes it's amazing cuz you don't have to no i think that's part of the freedom of it too and and it comes from application seeing that you can get the same or better results by being just a little bit kinder to yourself and seeing how that flows over into your creativity, into your relationships, into your, gosh, it really flows into everything. Because if you can can be kind and loving to yourself, you can, your ca- capacity to love other people grows with it. You know, there's like a saying where you can be a pint person or a gallon person. And sometimes we expect pint people to give us gallons or we get overwhelmed when all we need is a pint and somebody gives us a gallon. Yeah. And I think you, as you turn from a pint of self-love into a gallon of self-love, there's like more to go around, you know, and having and managing those expectations and also being okay with being at your pint. Like that's okay. It's okay to be a pint. Totally. Knowing it, acknowledging it, um, and taking accountability and saying, I know you asked for a gallon and I only gave you a pint. That's all I have. I, ta- I, I take it. I take the responsibility of, of only giving you a freaking pint and not giving you a whole gallon. And that like flows into anything emotionally, physically, mentally, um, being physically present for people. But what I learned so far in my sobriety and i'm so curious about yours because you went through this as a father and as a partner like in a marriage yeah there's a big chunk of sobriety that i think from the people that i've talked to really specifically mothers so i'm really curious your point on it but the anticipation of getting sober because it's such a selfish thing. That's in quotes because it isn't really selfish. It's about the best thing you can do for other people. But it's seen as selfish. Well, if I have to go into a program or if I have to, you know, um, not go to parties, what am I going to do? Not go to my kids' birthday parties because the mommy wine club is there and they are going to pressure me to have a drink and I'm not ready to face that. I I can't. I just, we have too many events. I can't take time off my schedule. I think in my unique way, I was scared of that. It was a blessing because I, um, you know, 
my timeline with my sobriety came while everything was pretty much shut down. Mine too, to a degree. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, so I've got that question a lot. How did you, you work in restaurants, how did you deal with it? And I'm like, well, I lost my job, right? So I lost my job. So that was home. And I was fortunate to be, I had some severance and I was okay to get through the first couple months. And then I started a company in February of 2020. So I was home from like the end of October, November, December. I was just at home. I wasn't put in any positions where I was, and my wife um, was super supportive. I'll never forget the day that I came home. And my my thing was triggered by an infidelity that I had. So, and it was while I was just blackout drunk. And I made yeah. a decision that I'm never going to make a decision that isn't my own ever again. Like I'm never going to do something that I have to look back on and go, I, I wouldn't have done that if I was sober. Yeah. And I said, the rest of my life, I'm going to, I'm going to have that answer. Like that was, that's my driving force is that I'm never going to let myself, I'm never going to let alcohol make another decision for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. And so I got home. There was the day I saw the rainbow and I had the, I made, I made up my mind and I came home and I told my wife, I said, you can do whatever you do. If you decide to stay with me or you decide to leave me, just know this day forward, I'm going to be, I'm going to be okay. Like I'm going to be a better person. Like I starting right now for the rest of my life, it's going to be different. And you, I'm not, that wasn't me saying, please stay because that's not Mm -hmm. my choice. I, right. I've done a, I had done a lot of talking. It was time for me to start doing, you know, like yeah. there's a point where you can say a lot of shit and then like, dude, you got to like, you got to actually do the stuff, you know? And yep. so that was for me. I was like, I, I'm, I'm not doing, I'm not going to get sober for our relationship. I'm not going to yeah. get sober for anybody else other than me, because it's, it's never going to work. If you get sober for somebody else or something else, you have to want it. You have to say, I want more things for me. And I'm, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. There's just that fed up moment. And I had that moment of clarity where I went never again, and I'm going to be a better person. And then every day I started, you know, you, do, are you, do you do, so do you do any kind of meetings or anything like that? Do you go to any meetings? Have you, no. are you, have you read the 12 steps? Are you involved with anything like I'm, that? Cause you, I'm familiar with it, but I don't like identify with it. Okay. So I couldn't be, I, I could go grab a bill, the big book though. I do have that. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, but yeah. So many people, there's, there's people that are, a lot of people have a lot of baggage you know mm-hmm. so one of the main things that a lot of people in aa because i i do go to meetings i go to meetings every week and it's amazing for me that's just yeah. for me i'm not promoting it i'm not saying anybody else should do it for me it works i need the support system um but a lot of people have a lot of shame in their past and a lot of people carry this around like it's it's like these shelves behind me like they have like, oh, that time I did this thing, I, it's it's there. And then the time I did this thing, and they have this inventory of all this bullshit that happened earlier in their life and they feel this shame for. It's like a it's like a garbage can full of all this past baggage that they just carry around with them. And people carry this stuff around and sometimes it gets too heavy. And that's when people drink is they have these resentments and they have all this anger from their past. And when it gets too much, well, I got to numb that. And so part of the 12 steps is take the trash out. 
Like you need to sit down with somebody and go, you have to take inventory of all that mm-hmm. shit that you're carrying around with you and you got to bury it. You got to, you got to work through it. You've got to dress it. And then you've got to take it, dig a hole, bury that shit, learn from the things that you can like, glean whatever you can, whatever knowledge. And Hey, look, I did that. And I learned some things from that and I'm never going to do that again. And I'm going to leave that back there. And then you just yeah. look forward you look forward yeah. and you stop carrying around all that bullshit with you. And like, I don't care. Like I'm now looking forward to my life and I don't have to worry. And so that's, that's where those steps really come into play. Cause they address all of those specific things yeah. and it's super helpful and it's super helpful. And a lot of people don't have money and you can go to a therapist, you can do all that stuff totally. and there's a free method to do it. And so yeah. it really is, um, it's been helpful to me, but yeah. it's not for a lot of people. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Like Corson Fire and Security, total protection, one source. Guys, let me tell you, Kevin Rose, uh, he's their specialist. He is the restaurant specialist. That's what he does. His number is 615 974 2932. I get that out of the way because you're going to go back because you're going to want to listen to call this guy. Listen, every restaurant, fire suppression systems, uh, your hoods need these fire suppression systems. You have fire extinguishers. Do you know how to use the fire extinguishers? What happens if there's a fire in your restaurant? Does your staff know what to do? Is that something you cover and line up? I don't know if it is, but that's what Kevin wants to do. Kevin wants to be the guy. He wants to come over and help you train your staff to know exactly what to do in the event that there's a fire. That's what they do. They do fire extinguishers. They do general fire products, emergency exit lighting, fire alarm system, fire sprinkler systems, fire suppression units. They also do security and they monitor everything. And guys, this is one of those things that every single restaurant needs. I don't know who you're using, but if you don't know the person, if you don't have one person you can call when you need them, you need to call Corson. But you're thinking right now, what is that guy's phone number again? He said it was at the very beginning. His name is Kevin Rose. It's 615-974-2932. Call him today. We are super excited to introduce Maintain IQ for restaurants. Maintain IQ is a modern digital checklist system that simplifies your operations. They are designed specifically for restaurants. You can standardize, track, and manage food safety procedures, temp logs, daily checklists, preventive maintenance, and ongoing repairs. He's saying that you can, managers will save up to 10 hours per week. You can repair, you can reduce repairs and maintenance spend by $5,000 a year. Staff will know what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. Everything is digitally recorded. Minimize liability, ensuring safety, cleaning, and compliance standards are upheld. This is the best thing since sliced bread, guys. And we're going to talk about that in just a second with Sharpies. But we are talking about a checklist to do every single thing in your restaurant that's all kept nice and neat in a little app. You need to call Will Jackson. His number is 888-534-0261 and set up a 30-minute demo. If you do that, I'll give you a free Nash Restaurant Radio hat or I'll give you a free Nash Restaurant Radio t-shirt. Just send me a message on Instagram. Check out Maintain IQ. You know, what chefs want, some people still call it creation gardens, but what chefs want has been, was our first advertiser on the show. Uh, Monty Crawford saw what we're doing. He goes, I want to be part of it, dude. I love it. 
And I just, I love that. They're so perfect because they work with locally owned and operated restaurants better than anyone. And let me tell you how they do it. No minimums, no fees, no fuel surcharges, no surcharges anytime. They deliver seven days a week. They have 24-7 customer support. You can call, text, chat, email anytime from anywhere. Or you can reach them at 502-587-9012. They have a diverse line of products. Their chefs have access to thousands of items across many different categories that allow them to receive fresh product daily. What chefs want is the perfect addition to any broadline company as they've got all of your fresh produce delivered daily, plus custom meats, anything that you need that your broadliner can't get. Give them a call, 800-600-8510, or visit them at whatchefswant.com. Yeah, I think it's just whatever works for you. Yeah. I'm like so supportive of literally whatever works for you that is don't take that as like, I'm so supportive if you want to like, yeah, you're quitting alcohol, but you puff, puff, pass instead. Like, I'm not, I'm not that, um, I mean, it, hey, if it works for you to get you out of the thick of alcohol, maybe, yeah, sure. I've talked to plenty of people where that was the case. But eventually, like, sobriety is in layers. I, I feel like I'm saying layers a lot. We should have this be like a, a water drinking game. Every time I say layers on here, you take a drink of water. Layers. I could do that. Yeah. Stay hydrated. I am thirsty. <laughs> but um, so many people have different – I was talking to my friend Meg on, on the podcast and she – not to like share her story. I, you can listen to the podcast and she does, she does it herself. But I think she, like a lot of other people, didn't realize how many coats she had on in the room, meaning – you know you need to get sober. Like you're so hot. You're sweating. It's uncomfortable. You finally decide you're going to get sober. So you start to take off the layer and you think, oh, God, yes, it's this one coat. Once I attach and detach from this one coat, I'm going to cool down and I'm going to feel that peace. And some people have like that one coat. Like I had that one coat, which was alcohol. And I took that coat off and I cooled down and the tools that I need – in order to stay cool are going to be different than somebody who had took off a coat and had a cardigan and a turtleneck <laughs> and, you know, what are they called? Long johns, like waffle clothing. Like it's yeah. so different for every person. So AA is so great depending on your layers. And it's really great if you need structure. It's great. Um, especially because just ex exactly how you just put it, like, it's hard to know how to label one yourself to feel like you can identify with a bunch of people, especially when you're leaving a bunch of your friend group or you're taking a break or you're taking a pause to, to build that community in one meeting, you know, possibly establish relationships. And then it's super great for like having a structure and a path to follow to keep your mind focused on the next. Um, so you're not focused on not drinking, but you're focused on the next step of healing, recovering, and lessening that load. Um, so I agree. It's super great. It, it, it works for certain people. It doesn't work for others. Um, I think, I think like just developing a, well, I guess also I'm sitting here and, and I haven't even reached my two year mark. So who knows? But it doesn't matter. A month, a year who knows like what tools I'll need, 
But I think what the key to it is regardless of the method that you're approaching currently or want to approach or have been thinking about, I think staying open to evolution is really imperative to your recovery having longevity and your sobriety having longevity because as you know, as a father, you watch your kids grow and go from have growing pains and go from one grade to the next. And we are out of school, but we still do that. We still have growing pains and we still go from run, one grade of life to the next. Hopefully, and hopefully you do. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. I mean, a lot of people get stuck in one place and they're comfortable and they don't want to move. Like I encourage you to step out of that and go do something different. Yeah, absolutely. But even the people around you will will grow and change. And I think the triggers that I've encountered even in this like last this last year have been new, different, challenging and the way and the tools like the my sober tools and my toolkit, my sober toolkit have changed. I've picked other stuff up, I've set other things down, I've relied heavily on Quitlet before, I've set the book down cuz I felt overwhelmed by it. What where is that? Quitlet. What's that? Oh my gosh. Okay. It's all literature. It's like slang for any literature that talks about how to like quit stories, biographies, anything that like helps you quit or gives you like a new perspective into quitting. I like it. The the two Quitlet books uh, that I read when I was first kind of entertaining a sober life was Quit Like a Woman, How to Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. Um, and then I read Alan Carr's The Easy Way to Quit Drinking Without Willpower. And if anybody is curious, just curious and open to having your perspective shift a little bit on alcohol from like even, I mean, Alan Carr's is like purely science on what alcohol does to your body. I really implore you to like go order it, read it. He even says at the beginning of the book, like you don't have to quit drinking in order to read this book. You can like close the book and go have a glass of wine if you want. But I guarantee you by the end of this book, you won't want to pick it up because if you allow your perspective to be changed on it, you wouldn't want to put all of this in your body. And you're going to really feel – Im- It's so bad and it's, it's so not, bad for you. It's not regulated. Alcohol is not regulated. So if you like pick up a ketchup bottle and you turn over and you look at the nutrition and you see like, oh, there's corn syrup and all this stuff in there. And then you pick up a bottle of tequila and you turn it over. It's there's nothing there. And the reason for that is because there's no necessity. There's nothing that says that alcohol companies have to disclose what exactly is in their alcohol. Hmm. I didn't know that. Um, yes. And it's also like I think – a. I think it's a it's a carcinogen. I feel like it's a case one carcinogen or something. I don't know. Now I'm going to butcher that. So I don't know. Don't <laughs> hold me to that, guys. Just Google it. Just Google it. But it's really bad for you. It has the same stuff that's in gasoline that we put in our cars that we're paying an arm and a freaking leg for right now are in alcohol. So if you wouldn't guzzle gas, why would we guzzle tequila shots? And I think just – the more that I read those kind of perspectives, I mean, the a real one, a real knocker that like chain, like was really a big whoosh, is in Alan Carr's. He's like, I want you to really think about all the terms that you use to describe yourself when you're going out or what, how you intend to be when you go out, sloshed, wasted. Oh, I had, a, I, had an, like, I had an alter ego. Did you? What was your name? Brandemonium. 
Oh, I was Tequila Katie. There's a state of brandemonium. Uh oh, he's in a state of brandemonium. Here we go. Oh, oh and it was my a thing. Gosh. Yeah, it gave my wife anxiety. Intend that word because she's like, oh God, no, I don't want that. Like that, I don't want brandemonium. Well, it's so it's like we know that we're doing it, right? Like we're not. I thought it was funny. The fact that we're chaos and like we're like well let's go get wasted well yeah it's wasted because you're wasted you're a wasted person right now you're not of value when you're in that space you are wasted and i just like having that perspective shift just i was like wow yeah i know i'm more valuable than being wasted all the time a hundred percent so i want to change the, the topic of conversation just a little bit okay cool. um you're thinking about not drinking and I, I, I want to normalize the conversation around it, right? So I love okay. that we're talking about this. And oh gosh, I'm talking to people in the hospitality industry. And in the hospitality industry, there's a lot of people who, you know what? The industry, I, I identified this recently. I said, the industry is crazy. You have no idea what to expect when you come into work. Is somebody going to choke? Is there going to be a fire? Am I going to get stiffed on tables? Am I going to make any money at all? Is my manager going to be an asshole? Am I going to get this that that douchebag going to grab my ass again? Like, you have no idea like what happens, and it's a tough industry. Like, it's just every day you're coming in. It's a grind, and the one thing is like we all just go drink afterwards, and it's just a crazy, crazy thing. So I want to. I think there's a lot of people out there who are like me who had this thought of. I probably drink too much, but then what am I going to do when I go out to eat? Like, how am I going to not order alcohol? If they say, we're featuring a wine tonight, I ha how do I say no to that? If they come in, they go, it's Whiskey Wednesday, and all of our whiskey is half price. I love bourbon. How am I going to be able, because I couldn't, I didn't have the willpower to do that. Like, I was, yeah. a, I was afraid that I was going to go into these scenarios, and I worked, um, or I traveled a lot. I traveled, and I'm not like traveling regional travel i'm in dalton georgia knoxville and like you know these you know a two to three hours of nashville but you go out and you're with a bunch of other salespeople and you drink a bunch like how the hell am i ever going to be able to do that and these fears like kept me from stopping drinking when i knew that i needed to stop drinking but i was like there's no way i can do that i mean now it's nothing i'll tell you a story last yesterday i got on a private airplane and I flew to Gainesville, Georgia. Okay. Fun. And you get on the plane, like, do you guys want anything to drink? And everyone's like, ah, we're, we're good, because it was 7.45 in the morning. We landed at the airport, this little regional airport in Gainesville. We were going to a chicken plant. And it was the chicken company's uh, Springer Mountain Farms chicken. And um, we were flying on their jet to their place. And we get there, and they have a full bar at the hangar. And they're like, do you guys want a whiskey or something? I'm like, no, we're good. Let's, it's going. We went to dinner last night. I was so scared to death. We went to dinner and everybody's drinking. I had a Pellegrino because I love Pellegrino. But it didn't bother me in the least bit. And then after that, we had to stop at the store to go buy more beer. And then we went back to the hotel and everybody's in the lobby drinking. And I've got a Perrier at this point because I've just out of control over here. Right, right. Pellegrino, Perrier, we're brand switching. Oh, yes. We're doing it big. But I got up this morning and I felt amazing. And it it's not hard to say, I'll just have a sparkling water. And I mean, I didn't, there's nothing about me. Like I've, I've learned so many tools. There's nothing about me that said, I really need to act like an idiot tonight. Like I really need all of these people. I need to show my ass 
because that's just what I crave. And it was the first time I realized that, hey, look, you know what? I was okay just being me. I was so like, I felt like I needed to be some kind of entertainer. I felt like I needed to be the life of the party because, hey, here I am. I'm this big, tall, gregarious guy, and I have to be the one who's leading and entertaining. And I'm like, I don't have to do any of that. I can just be me and have normal conversation and joke around. And I woke up this morning and I was like, I feel amazing. And it's those little victories for me that just like are everything. So my to tell that story for you, what were you most like, because there's these silly things that you're afraid of when you're first stopping drinking. And I want people to hear this. I want people right now who are out there and they're like, I'm in that place. I know I drink too much, but I work in a restaurant and all of my social circle goes out and drinks every night. What are some things that you were afraid of and what are you afraid of now? Good story. Great question. Um, I think I was, I had the same fear because I'm an entertainer too. And I thought my image and my self image was so tethered to being a little tipsy, but then like actually going and like slamming into blackout drunk quite fastly after that. Um, what did I do about it? Here's the thing. Here's what I think. I think I had to try and fail a couple times in order to see the results and how much they differ. Example, when I was working in a restaurant, this is pre-sobriety, but this was kind of like I was getting into the thick of my drinking and at a restaurant, yeah, we you get off at 11 and you're like, sweet, ooh, hard shift. Should cash. we go down to the bar next door and slam down some shots? They'll give us a discount, right? Because you think that's what I need. That's what I've been doing. I'm going to unwind that way. But I would try really hard to say, I don't want to do that. I always wake up feeling awful. Um... So I'd go into work and they'd be like, hey, just a heads up before we get started. I've got a really early day tomorrow, so I'm not going to go out with you guys after. Just letting you know, but like plan something without me. Now that took a couple of times. That took a couple of times for me to follow through on that. Because my desire wasn't fully there. I wasn't super ready. You go through, you know, a four hour, five hour shift and some lady yells at you and tells you you lost a reservation and you know, you didn't, you know, she made it for the wrong date through resi or open table. And then you got to navigate that. And then the manager comes out, like you get stressed. There's and like your trauma. Changes. <laughs> it is. It's yeah, wild. There's a lot. Or you like put the lady in her place and she says sorry and, you know, palms you $20 and then you go, yeah, I got to celebrate this. So you either get knocked on your ass or you soar and either way, you're so programmed to go, I got to celebrate or I got to soak. And either way, it's there's booze involved because historically that's how I've done it. So I went through so many different attempts of like, okay, I'll go for one. Okay, maybe I could I go for one. I'd. I'd have three. I'd wake up. I wouldn't feel that great. And I felt the feeling of like, hey, I kind of betrayed myself. Didn't really like that. Let's see. Let's try it again. Whenever I'm ready, let's try it again. And going through that trial and feelings, like you said, that we aren't uh, really comfortable with having, I think 
same for like you and your store, you have to see the benefits in real time and it takes time to get there. Just give yourself up grace and patience because if you can keep trying and if you can keep proving to yourself that you can keep trying, then you must be capable of completing it. If you're capable of trying, you're capable of completing. It just might take longer than expected. I think just I think that would be my my only advice is like keep trying and be kind to yourself. That's real easy to say sitting here. Yeah. Um but at the same time, I would be lying if I said I had a roadmap because I don't. Like we ju- like we talked about it's so unique to you. It's really your freaking fingerprint is your sober journey. So just know you're figuring it out, you're carving it your way. And I would say like if it's not work-related and you're worried about, well, if I'm going to go out to dinner with my friends, how am I going to not order wine? If they if they order a bottle, how am I not going to – you could just not go to the dinner. If they're real friends, they'll they'll forgive you. They'll give you that grace you're giving yourself. I, I promise you. I a promise you. A thousand percent. If it is built on love and not on booze, it will float and it will come out stronger. And it's scary. And you don't want to disappoint other people. But saying no to other people is saying yes to yourself. And it's really important to get comfortable saying yes to yourself and no to other people when you're first going through this experimentation of implementing like social situations and work functions back into your life after deciding to try to quit out uh, alcohol. I think so. there's and I think that I, I, so I love all of that. And I think there's small investments you can make in yourself. Right. So if yeah. you're going to, if you, if you want to make the investment in your own self and you recognize and you say, I probably drink too much, I'm going to stop, make a date with yourself. Right. So, hey guys, yes. you're going to go out. I'm going to go home and I'm going to download the Headspace app and I'm going to do a 10 minute meditation. I'm going to do the basics. I'm just going to learn how to meditate. And then I'm going to start reading one of those books by myself. Or I'm going to find another person who doesn't drink and I'm going to say, do you want to go have coffee and hear me talk about some of the feelings I'm having? Or find a support, some way that you can intentionally get a support group together. Because the thing that I think most people need to know is that you don't have to do it alone. You do like, not. It's, this is not something that's like, well, you want to quit drinking, good on you, man, but that's not for me. I mean, you can tell your friends, hey, look, I'd really rather you not drink. And it's like, I don't want you to have to change your lifestyle for me. But sometimes you can now with a clear head evaluate the relationships in your life. And that was the big thing to me. Also, you you mentioned relationships in your life. Like when you get sober, all of a sudden that flooding of emotions, there's a clarity. And I love how your podcast is called Clear Headed. See, I'm bringing this back. Yeah. It's clear-headed because now I can look at the current relationships in my life and I can evaluate them based upon priorities and like who really vibes with me, who really genuinely cares about me and who is a drinking buddy because I buy shots every other night or who cares about the relationship with me based around like who wants to go have coffee with me? Who wants to go have breakfast with me one day and not drink and just talk about life? Yeah. Dude, I'm too, I'm gonna be too hungover to do that. Well, then- I'm going to choose not to be in that relationship for the time being until something changes. The ability for me to set boundaries now is there. I I couldn't do that before. It was almost like lead by example. I'm like, well, I'm going to set these boundaries, but I have 
zero boundaries in my life other than that, then you just look like right. a dick. But right. like now, and now it's like, <laughs> hey, wow, I really have clarity and my head is really clear and I can recognize the relationships that are valuable and that's everywhere. It's just amazing the clarity that you have when it comes to your relationships and what is really important when you're not drunk. It really is because you know your foundation so much better so you understand what can be built on top of it. Like you know you're not the shots guy. You know that's not who you are. Just like I'm not really Tequila Katie. I got a (laughs) lot more to me than just that. So because I know myself better, I know what puzzle pieces fit together and how we align with people. And I love myself and I value my peace. And I'm not going to take anybody else's peace, but I'm not going to compromise mine. And I think that that going through the motions and the experiments and the situations where you have to apply those boundaries is really hard. And it's a lot of work and it's what deters people, I think, from even setting those boundaries. And and that's okay. It's not going to get fixed in a year, but it is going to get stronger in a year and it is going to get better through time. But when you do the work, like when you actually do the work and it's fucking hard, like it is a hard amount of work to do, but it's like anything that's worthwhile like mowing your yard on a really hot day is me, right? Because I'm I'm that guy, right? I've but like, like never mowed a lawn, don't know how to turn <laughs> <on> a mower. <laughs> well, think of something that's really if it's if it's you know starting a podcast and doing multiple episodes, anything that's really hard to do that you put that work in, all of a sudden you go, wow, this is really worthwhile. This is really a special yeah. thing, and you you start to if you feel like me, I was at this point where I thought. Everybody in the world hates me. Everybody in the world hates me. I, nobody likes me. Nobody wants me here. It took one person to be like, hey, dude, we don't care. Like, we don't care. You're special. And I was like, you think so? Really? Why? Like, because you're, you're, you're alive. And every single person on this planet deserves that. Yeah. And I don't care who's told you anything about what you are. It doesn't matter. You are important, and you were. I, I just hit a, I hit a thousand days sober um, a couple weeks ago. I just made a post about it like two days ago. But I made a post, and I was like, "Listen, if you're out there, I don't care who you are. Like, I love you. You are special. You are a valuable person, and I don't care what self talk you have or who you think you've harmed or what you think you did. Hey, if you woke up on this right side of the earth today, you have a future." And you're special. You just, it's okay. Like, it's okay. If everybody's telling you, hey, call me. I will drive to wherever you are and I will give you a hug. Like, I will, like, I don't care. We need, we need to believe in people. We need to believe in people more and less yelling and fighting and more kindness and more hugs. You know, more people saying, dude, I'm going to lean in. You push me away because you're, in that moment, like, I'm going to lean in and I'm just going to keep hugging. And I'm going to keep yeah. telling you, like, it's okay. Because yeah. eventually, maybe you'll believe it. Yes. And that all you and need is that one person to, to believe in you, to yeah. take somebody from, I don't want to be on this planet anymore, to, I want to thrive. Yes. That It's that small of a margin. It is. And you're not alone. It I think is. that's the number one thing. You're not alone. There's a... You have you in California. I'm here. There's so many people out there that want oh my gosh, to help so you. Many. It's so, so it's it's many. an amazing community. 
And if you're teetering and if you feel like you, 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 oh, you're managing and it's stressful, you know what? It's enough to just say, I'm not happy. That's enough of a reason to reevaluate and to make changes. You don't have to do a ton of damage in order to make your life better. And I think that as we progress and as different generations get introduced to that idea, I think that the judgment and the stigma and the conversations are going to get better and more understanding. And we're going to get to experiment and explore this this new wave of happiness and alcohol-free life and just how much there is to gain from it. And there's a lot. There's a lot to gain from it. And I, I want to say thank you for you taking the time to come on this podcast. I love sharing people's stories and sharing stories of hope around this particular topic. You're not broken. You know, people out there that are on the, on the, I want people to hear this and go, Hey, look, it's okay to not drink. It's okay. I, I'm proudly, proudly a, a, I say I'm an alcoholic because I'm proud to kind of go, Hey, I figured out what it was and not that it's an excuse. Like I, I used to, I think I used to drink and do stupid shit just so that I could say, oh, well, I was drunk. There's no accountability to it. Right, right. And I don't know. I, I think that letting people know that there's no shame. No shame. There's no stigma. No when stigma. somebody says, why don't you drink? You don't have to answer them. You and guess ha- what? You don't have to know the full answer in order you, to not drink. You don't. Too. You don't have to have it all figured out. It's a progression. It's an ebb. It's a flow. You can label. You can lean into it. You can teeter with the idea. You can experiment. You just deserve to be happy and clear-headed. And however you get there, you get there. But you're welcome. And thank you. And I literally want to go get coffee when I'm in Tennessee next. You and should. I want swag. We, we should. <laughs> What's that? I want swag. <laughs> yeah. I got it for days. I can, uh, <laughs> we get off, give me your, I'll send you a Nashville Restaurant Radio t-shirt and then oh you can gosh, have yes. a t-shirt in California and represent out there. Um, yeah. Listen to Kate Madry on the Clear Headed Podcast. It is going to be on, um, do you do it through Anchor? Is it Anchor? I do it through Anchor. It's so, on Apple Spotify. and Spotify. We yes. even got a YouTube. And you can check out any of my tools, uh, any non-alcoholic cocktail recipes that I like and feel is fun on my new website, clearheaded.co. Nice. I want to be the goop of sober care. So if you want to have a fun, entertaining life, check it out. Click around and um, more to come. We just keep building, you know? Heck yeah. I love yeah. it. Congratulations. Um I can, you know, it's sometimes when you talk to people and you can just look at them in their eyes and they just radiate and they're just like glowing and they're just like happy people. Yes. You absolutely, um, you absolutely do that. It's been a Thanks. joy and a pleasure. I have one last thing that we do here okay. on this show. Okay. We do the Gordon Food Service final thought. Oh, love that. Okay. So what we're going to do is you get to take us out. Uh, whatever, whatever you want to say, as long as you okay. want to say it. You're speaking to my whole audience, and this is this is your time to say whatever you want. Okay. And when we are done, we are gonna we're gonna end this thing. Thanks again. The floor you. is yours. Mike is yours. Hi. Ah, on the spot. If you are feeling like maybe there are some ingredients in your life that are really good, don't let them expire. 
Um, take stock of the things that are working for you and don't be afraid to clear off the shelf to make room for more, better, fresher ingredients in your life, in your relationships, and in your relationship with alcohol, even if that means a breakup. You can do it. Thank you. <laughs> Kate Madry, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Big, big thank you to Kate Madry for joining us on Nashville Restaurant Radio. A little departure from the restaurant conversation. And um, as I listened back to that, it just, that was so special. I think there were so many amazing points that she brought up. And I, I, I hate hearing myself speak, but I think there's two different ways to go about it. And I love the fact that she's very much a, hey, look, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up. Just do it, you know, or don't do it or do whatever you feel like you need to do. But, um, don't, you don't have to label it. You don't have to go hit rock bottom. You can just kind of want to be healthy. I look at it from a different perspective because of my own situation. So I love hearing other people tell me kind of their stories and I can't, she's gonna be in Nashville next week. I can't wait to meet her. So thank you guys out there. Thank you for listening. You can go vote right now. Net checks. Uh, we have a amazing, contest for the best Mexican restaurant in Nashville. And we are in the, the elite eight this week. So go in and uh, place your vote. Go to NashvilleRestaurantRadio.com. You can vote for the top eight teams. And um, Brandon's book club is out there. So we are Brandon's book clubbing it up with Michael Easter. His book is called the comfort crisis. And we're going to have a live call where you can join the podcast uh, at the end of the month. And we're going to discuss the book. It's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait this is going to be kind of a, a leadership side of things, and uh, it's really, really cool. So thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, we hope that you are being safe, and uh, we love you guys. Bye. <laughs>